So we are in week two of our relationship goals series. And as I've, I think I made it clear last week, but I'm just going to say it again. This is not, uh, this is not a fix your marriage series. This is not a find a spouse series. This is not like a romantic uh, series when we're talking about relationships. It's, I mean, it impacts all those, all those areas, but it's, it's, it's not that. Um, it probably may be another uh, little public service announcement. Valentine's Day, guys, is this week. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you haven't yet made plans, it might be worth just a, I mean, just a, just a little note to yourself. Uh, let's, let's get this right. We can do this. We can do better maybe than what we've done in the past. But, um, just, uh, but, but so, so February, we talk relationships. We, we kind of think about that. But, but the, the idea and the goal is here at Birchridge is to is not just think about romantic kinds of things, but to say, how do we relate to each other, right? How is it that, that as a people, as a church, that, that we can, can be in right relationship with God, with each other, and with the world around us? And, and so we're talking over, the, over this month, we're highlighting different ways that uh, we can give uh, generously of ourselves, finding ways to make it not about us. Um, and so the reality is, as, as we talk relationships, the, the reality is we are really consistent with our relationships. So when we operate in fear in one relationship, we tend to operate in fear in other relationships, right? Including our relationship with God. When we operate uh, in an unforgiving way in some relationships, that tends to bleed over and, and, and cause us to be unforgiving in, in other relationships. That, that we're consistent across our relationships with God, with each other, with the world around us. Relationships are also one of those key environments that God uses uh, to transform us. In some ways, it's because there are things that get exposed in relationship with each other that, um, that, that come out as, as, we, as we interact with, the, with each other, that, and God uses that to expose areas where we need to grow, uh, but then creates an environment when we're in healthy relationships to help us move forward. So you talk of these rhythms of, of, of like leaning into community or leaning out of community. Here in Alaska, we have this very amplified sense of the rhythms of, of isolation and solitude and, and connection with each other. We're, we're now coming out of, at least I hope we're coming out of, the really cold, right? Was, every, every time I, I, I'll, I'll say something like, wow, we made it through, and someone's like, well, you know, it's still February, all right, all right. Um, <laughs> I, I do know we were successful in scraping a significant amount of the thick accumulated ice off of our front porch yesterday. So I feel like we're like making progress towards something that feels, uh, feels kind of hopeful. But again, it's February, right? So like, I, I can say that like I know what that means. I'm, I'm still learning, but uh, <laughs> um, we'll get there. Uh, but we're, we're kind of like emerging from winter, right? We're kind of coming out of a kind of like hunker down and we tend to be a little bit more isolated as part of why we do our, our fun night, which we had a, a, a fun night last month. We're going to have a fun night uh, again uh, the, the 20th or 21st, whatever that Friday is, um, just because we need to emerge, right? We need to come out of isolation and get into a uh, relationship with each other because there's the, that, that's a rhythm. But the thing is, we can learn things about ourselves in isolation. We learn things about ourselves in connection with each other. And God uses both of those contexts to, to do a transforming work in us. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, writes this. He says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who's not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. 
and the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes into the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. In other words, we need both, right? If you can't be in a, like operate in a healthy way in solitude, you're probably not going to be oper- able to operate in a healthy way in community. If you can't operate in community in a healthy way, you're probably going to not operate in a healthy way in isolation either, right? That, that we bring ourselves into both of those contexts where, where God can do a transforming work in us, but, but because we come with a certain set of expectations, because we come with a certain resistance to transformation, that, that it makes it more difficult, that we come and we say, well, maybe it's just easier to be alone, or maybe I just, I just don't want to lean into community or let other people see what's going on in my life because I, just, I don't want to go there. Or maybe it's like I'm just going to operate in a way that um, I'm just going to be in, in fellowship with, the, with, with other people, but I'm not going to actually do the foundational work to be ready to be healthy in that way as well. Dietrich uh, writes in another part of that book, he says, the person who loves their dream of community, right, who has their ideal sense of what community is supposed to look like, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Right? We, can, we can talk here at Birchridge about this vision that we have for being a church that, that, that's a place where people feel connected, where we, we get to operate in a relationship with each other. But, but if it's just about creating a certain type of, of community, then, um, then we can fall in love with that idea or that ideal of community without understanding that the reality is that when we love people, when we show people that they matter, when, when we actually value people, that that will forge the kind of community that, that, that's what we actually want. Right, that that's the actual building block. When we say here at the church that, that you matter, that your next step matters, that we're here to help, that, that we're talking about the foundation of, 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 of valuing someone in a way that creates community around the, the, the dignity and the value of people. And so this morning we're talking about self, well, selfless love, to talk about what, what it looks like to be in a relationship, to, to be selfless as, as, as Christ was selfless, to understand what that looks like. The, the problem is we, we operate selfishly. Right? Not selflessly. Typically, our, our gravitational pull, the way we miss the mark most often is, is towards the direction of, of selfishness. Uh, selfishness has this way of working its way into every relationship. That once it kind of gets a hold in one part of our lives, that, that it tends to spread. Uh, it tends to spread. And, and so in, in when we talk about relationships with each other, that we can talk about, like, I, I, we can say things like, I love you, right? Maybe to, my, to a spouse or to, to a person, or we talk about this, this affection that we might have for this other person. But, but the reality, what's behind that is really a statement of saying, I, it's, it's not so much that I love you, it's that I love how I feel when I'm around you, or I love the way you make me feel. Right? So it's, it's actually turned inward on, on ourselves where we say, we're saying I love or we, we're perceiving love or we're talking in terms of love, but the reality is we've made it into this selfish thing. It's, it's not I love you, it's I love how you make me feel, which is a selfish about us kind of reality. And we, we turn that towards God. We turn that towards God and it, and it, it sounds a little something like this. It's, well, what, what do I get out of this relationship, right? Maybe for some of us, that's been the big hang-up is, is we've wanted to take steps towards God or we've kind of leaned in, we're, we're, we're here and we're, we're starting to take some steps forward, but it's like ultimately I'm, I, there's still things I want from God. And that's okay. I mean, this can, can be a thing that drives us, but it can't be the only thing that drives us, right? So then we say, what can I get from God? Because the, the broken version, the selfless version of that is um, there's no thought that God might want something from us too, Right? That there's no thought that there might be something that, that God is hoping to, 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 to do through us as well. So as soon as something's required of us or as soon as, uh, as, soon as we don't think we're benefiting in the way that we'd like to benefit, then it's, we, we just lean out. Right? It's like, well, this isn't worth it. I'm not getting what I came for. And so we, 
we operate in this selfish, this selfish kind of way when we're called to operate in a selfless kind of way. Paul, writing to the, the church in Philippi, He's writing to this Philippian church, and he's, he's talking about their story. He's, he's reminding them of the journey. He's, he's drawing out from their, their, their current experiences the, the struggles and the suffering and all those kinds of things. And, and then in, in chapter 2 of, of, of Philippians, as Paul's writing this letter, he says, therefore, right, because you've experienced all these things, because the seed of, of your church's journey, because the seed of the community that, that you're a part of is, is marked with struggle, is marked with all kinds of things that, that aren't exactly ideal, he says, therefore, Therefore, maybe, maybe God's teaching you guys something. Maybe God's trying to help you see something a little more clearly in, in a way that, that you can't see if it was just favorable times, right? The crucible of, of struggle that, that allows us to see things differently. Paul writes in chapter 2 of, of Philippians, he says this in verse 1, Therefore, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, uh, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, by having the same love, by being one in spirit and of one mind. He says, therefore, right, if, if all of those other things are true, if you look at the first part of the, the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippian church, it's, it's, it's all about the, the struggles and the greetings that Paul's giving to a people who are, who are living through some really difficult times. And Paul says, therefore, if, and really what we need to understand that is not so much if as, as since, right? Since there is encouragement in Christ Jesus, if, since there is unity in Christ, since there is comfort from his love, right? If, since there is uh, common sharing of the Spirit, since there is tenderness and compassion, right? Because those things are true, it's not a question like, well, there might be. Paul is writing to a people with this, this expectation that this is the way things are. He's, he's using a rhetorical device to, to kind of get them to lean in, to help them understand what, what he's saying, or to get them to actually engage in, the, in the, the letter that he's writing. He says, make my joy complete. In other words, the things that Paul has experienced with the Philippian church are, are yet to be completed. That, that the story that Paul had, with the experience that he'd had with the Philippian church up to this point is not the whole story. So Acts chapter 16 tells the story of the founding of the Philippian church. And it is a story that's like, it's a pretty incredible beginning to a movement within a community. It, it starts with Paul having this plan to, to go to Asia. And he's, he's thinking, well, I'm going to take the, the gospel story. I'm going to take the story of Jesus to Asia and, 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 and spread the gospel throughout that part of the world. And then the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, stops him and then begins to redirect him. And he has this, this vision, this dream of this, this call to this, uh, the, the Macedonian call, this, this man calling out and asking for help. And then he comes and he, he arrives in Macedonia, he arrives in the area and meets this woman by the name of Lydia and finds that God is already on the move, that God is bringing people to himself. That there's this demon-possessed girl that's in pos the possession of these people who are using her to, 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 to make money, and, and, and they, they heal her, they, they, they heal this demon-possessed girl and end up finding themselves in jail because they've messed with somebody's livelihood, and, and so they're, they're in jail, and then they're, they're freed in a really dramatic kind of way, right? And these are the kinds of things, like, it's an incredible story. Not only are they jailed, they're, they're freed from jail. And not only are they freed from jail, but the jailer who had been holding them in the jail comes to faith in Christ through the story of, of their captivity. And, and the whole story, just, it just begins to, to, to get bigger and better and better and better. And Paul says, on that foundation, right, on the foundation of struggle, on the foundation of, of something that, that really, you could almost say, just roll the credits, the story of the church in Philippi is, is done. It's, it's, it's the big win, right? There's all these moments along the way where just this is, this is as good as it's going to get that they're walked out of jail by the leaders of the city, that they're celebrated in that kind of way. It's a great story. 
But Paul says the story is not complete, right? It's still an incomplete story because there's this, this response to the things that God has done. There's this re- the response to what God has done to, to bring together, to forge the community. Now he's saying to the church that's now trying to figure out what it looks like for them to live faithfully day after day after day. He says, make my joy complete, right? Finish the story and finish it well. Run the, 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 the part of the race that you're supposed to run then in some ways their response to the story really is the rest of the story. It's not just the beginning of the story, that's the story. What will they do, right? This is the question that, that underlies a lot of what Paul is writing. What is, is what will the church do now that it's their turn to decide how they're going to live? Now that it's their turn to decide what their community is going to look like. For Paul, there's this expectation that, that Christ actually makes a difference in community, that Christ actually changes the way they relate to each other. And so this, this letter is written with this sense of, this sense of optimism and this sense of expectation that there is unity in Christ that, that underlies that, that whole conversation. Because they've been given through Christ encouragement, not fear. They've been given comfort from his love, from, from their identity in him, from peace from, in the midst of their struggles. They've been given his spirit that, that guides their mission. They've been given tenderness and compassion, which, by the way, is the fruit often of struggle. So they've got this sense that on the other side of this crucible kind of experience, on the other side of, of being mistreated and, and being treated in ways that feel unfair and, and being pushed down and trampled down, all those kinds of things, there's this, this profound tenderness. Right? There's this profound compassion that comes from understanding what it's like to be on the wrong side of fair. And Paul says, that is not just something that you've experienced. That's something that God is going to use. That's, that's something that, that you're also called to steward in the same way that you would steward the other gifts that God has poured into your lives. That there is this tenderness, there's this humility that comes with having walked through difficult things. There's this, 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 this thing that has changed who you are. And so the question is, if those are the things they've been given, what should they do with what they've been given? And Paul in verse 2 begins to give some ideas or to, get, to paint a picture of what that might look like. He says, so, so be like-minded, right? Be, be unified, uh, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing. He continues, as, as the picture is painted, he begins to make it more and more clear what, what the community is supposed to look like. He makes it clear. He makes it not simple, or it makes it simple but not easy, right? It's, it's like, just do this handful of things, right? It's a very, very simple checklist. There's not a lot of tasks that you have to do. It's, it's just, these just a handful of things. There's nothing easy about it, but, there's, but, it, but it's simple. He says, do nothing, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but, but each of you to the interests of others, right? Simple, not easy, right? Simple, not easy. To, to look at this and say, this is, this is the bullseye, right? This is what we're supposed to do. This is what life is supposed to look like, a, a life that's, that's lived in a way that, that's impacted by the relationship that we have with God that, that then lets us look at the world in a different kind of way, that, op, that we operate in a relationship in a different kind of way. That this is a simple, I mean, it, it's a simple call, but to live this out is not easy, right? To live this out is, is going to be a lifetime of, of, of God transforming us and working on us and, and moving us forward. Paul says, so avoid some things, right? Let's start with what you got to let go of. Let's start with what's, what's incompatible with the next step in your journey. He says, avoid selfish ambition, which is success at the expense of other people. Right? Avoid vain conceit, which is self-centeredness. It's, it's focusing just on self at the expense of other people. So, so we lay those things down. We let go of those things, which for some of us, I mean, 
for all of us probably, this is a lifetime, right? The gravitational pull is, is towards the things that Paul is calling us to avoid. But he says, and then embrace some things, right? Take hold of some things that really matter. He says, value others above yourselves, right? Value others above yourselves, looking out for their best interests, which is the way that healthy relationships should function. If this, we're talking healthy marriages, we're talking healthy relationships, healthy workplaces, all those kinds of things are, are marked by everyone trying to make sure that each other are taken care of, right? valuing other people above yourselves. Because the key, as Paul talks of what we're called to embrace, the, the way that we're supposed to operate, the key is that people matter. Right? And so when we talk about the foundation for the future of Birchridge, when we talk about the, the direction that we're heading, the, the foundation that, that, that this community is being built on, it's things like you matter, your next step matters, and we're here to help, that, that we have these conversations that, that, that make it clear that people matter, right? that we structure ourselves, that, that we do things like small groups, and even the way that we do small groups, the way that we lead our small groups, it's, it's because we value people, that we imagine that that, that when you come to, the, to be in this place, that, that, it's, that, that, you would, that you would understand that you're valued, that the world around us understands that, that Birchridge doesn't just care about itself, but, but we care about the, our community, that people matter. And so we live our lives, and we, or, we structure ourselves in a way that gives dignity to people, that, that, that lets people know that we care, that let, lets people know that they have value and that, that we, they matter to us. We're building, front, we're building Birchridge on this foundation with Jesus as our example, right? To be able to talk about what this looks like, then to, to understand the bullseye, verse five says this, in your relationships with one another, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, right? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is the relationship goals bullseye. This is the, 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 the piece that when you look at the, the hinge that the, the, the whole passage rests on, it's, it's this idea that in your relationships with others, have the same mindset, not just the, the same kinds of behaviors or not just try and change the way you act, but literally change the way you think about other people, right? Change the way you think about yourself, change the way you think about other people to understand that it's, it's a mindset issue, right? That's our hang-up, is not usually our behaviors. Our behaviors are a result of our mindset. It's the fruit of a mindset. And so Paul says, if you want to get it right, if you want to hit the bullseye, then this is what you have to do. You have to, you have to not just have your, you're not just modifying behavior, you're actually changing your mindset. Alan Hirsch talks about discipleship in this way. He says, discipleship is doing the sorts of things that Jesus did for the same reasons that Jesus did them. Right, so you're not talking about just doing the things, but you're also doing them for, you're compelled by the same kinds of things. That, that it's, it's valuing people, that we can look at the stories of, of Jesus in Scripture, we can see the things that he did, and, and we can try really hard to, to live our lives just kind of like going down through the list of, well, Jesus did this, and he did this, and he did this, and, and we live our lives just doing, 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 without realizing that what compelled him, first of all, we're never going to be able to do everything that Jesus did. But, but we miss the, the, the mark when we, when we don't do them for the same reasons that Jesus did. If we do that just for our own sake of feeling, like feeling secure in our behavior, feeling secure that we have, we have done all the right things, then we miss the invitation that's actually been given to us to have our minds be changed, to be compelled by the same kinds of things that compelled Jesus, a love for people, a concern for the world around him, to, to, to bring value to people, to add value to people's lives. And Paul continues, who, talking of Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, 
He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. For us to understand what, what that valuing of people looks like, that, that God loves us and values us so much that, that, he, that he sent his son to, to take on flesh, to dwell among us, to, to live and die, to, to suffer as he did for us to recognize that he was compelled by love to, to take the very nature of a servant, right? to, serve, to serve the world in that kind of way, to, to recognize that what we believe about Jesus matters. Our, our theology, the Christology that we have actually matters to, to understand who Jesus was, to, to understand what he did, to understand why he did it, and then to recognize that he made a choice. And so we're also invited to make a choice. Verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Right? There's this reality that obedience right, means responding to, to an invitation that might take us a place that we don't want to go. Right? If, if we talk about selfishness versus selflessness, selfishness would say, oh, I don't want to go anywhere that I want to go. I, I came for some specific outcomes. I came for a specific benefit. I'm not, I'm not here to give myself to anything. I'm not here to, to do anything that makes me uncomfortable. But obedience is something deeper and better than that. Obedience is, 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 I wrote in my notes here, I said obedience is easier when you're used to getting over yourself, right? When you build that muscle of saying, this is not about me, that this is not about what I want to see happen. This is not about the things that, that I want to accomplish. This is not about the goals that I set for myself. This is about me saying, God, what is it you're trying to accomplish and how can I get in on it, right? So, so when we talk about obedience, when we understand that obedience, even to, to death on a cross, as, as, as Christ led the way in that, says that that means not just on the things that we want to get, not just on the things that we want to experience, but the things that are difficult, right? the things we'd rather not experience. And so we build this muscle of obedience as we learn to get over ourselves, as we learn to make it not about ourselves. And so we get to these points where it feels like death on a cross, right? It feels like death to, to have to obey when we're going somewhere that maybe we don't want to go. We're going to do something we don't want to do or, or working to restore a relationship that, that we'd rather just forget about understand that when we get over ourselves, obedience gets easier, and we build that muscle that, that moves us in the right kind of direction. So how do we get there, right? If, if the goal is obedience, if the goal is healthy relationships with God, with each other, and with the world around us, and, and to, to operate in a way that, that, that this, this selfless obedience to the invitation that God puts in front of us, how do we get there? This morning, we're going to talk of, about three shifts that, that, that get us in, that, in the right direction. The first one is this. We, we shift from pride to humility, right? We shift from pride to humility. Or you could say it this way, that, that it's, it's from, from your way to the Jesus way, that there is a better way of living, and it's, it's made clear by the person of Jesus Christ. The problem is, the problem is we're really good at hiding pride, have you noticed this? And we, we know how to say certain things in certain ways that, that kind of mask the pride that we might have or the self-centeredness that we have, that, that we're pretty good at hiding pride even or maybe even especially from ourselves. But we can't hide the fruit of pride, right? We can't hide the fruit of pride that, that grows when, when, when we're wronged or when we're not getting our way, when things aren't going the way that we'd like them to go. We can't hide the fruit of pride, not as easily anyways. And so for us to to, as we make this shift, this is not a shift that, that we're just going to make on our own. It's not like we're going to wake up this morning or tomorrow morning and say, look, I'm just, I'm just going to not be prideful. I'm going to be humble. 
That is a work that God has to do in us. And so when the fruit of pride rises up in us, when we see those things that, that emerge that, that aren't linked to any kind of Christ-likeness, that is, this is pride showing up in my life, then we take that and instead of concealing it and trying to hide that fruit, then we say, God, this just happened. Right? I just reacted this way. I just responded to this situation this way or I made this decision and I know it's totally about me. It's not about anybody else. It's about what I'm trying to get out of this thing and, and there's this fruit that's growing in my life that I don't want to have present in my life anymore. And so we take that and instead of, instead of obscuring it or hiding it, we say, we say, God, would you help me deal with this? When it shows up, we, we take the opportunity to, to allow God to do a work in us to fix it, to deal with it. Humility. Humility is, is marked by and found in the way that we value others, right? To understand that humility isn't about just imagining ourselves to be like worthless people, right? It's not about us being a slug and, and, and having no value and all those kinds of things. It's to understand humility means to understand ourselves rightly. This is why Paul continues to point to, point to Jesus and say, look what he did for you. Right? Look at the value that you have in him. You don't have to make yourself more valuable because you have been purchased at a price that you can't even fathom. To understand what humility looks like is, is to understand that, that what was done for us is something that we could not do for ourselves. So then the fruit of that and the good things that come out of our lives are, are, are God at work in us and through us. It's not about thinking about ourselves as unworthy. It's not about thinking about ourselves as, as, as something less than what God has created us to be. It's about understanding ourselves rightly through Jesus Christ. And so we move from pride, which is, which is rooted in our accomplishments and rooted in what we, what we do, to humility that's, that, that, that's, that's, that grows out of our understanding of what God has done for us. So we shift from pride to humility. We shift from self to community. Right? community of, of which we're a part. Right? There's this personal responsibility that we have as members of a community, whether it's a, it's a small group or it's our family, it's a workplace, that, that we bring ourselves into these relationships. But the goal isn't just that we, that we operate for ourselves, that we operate for the good of the community that we're a part of. It's not that we don't think about ourselves. It's not that we don't take care of ourselves. It's not that, that we don't do things that, that, that are beneficial to ourselves, but, but we learn to think rightly about ourselves within the context of community. Right? This is why small groups are so important because we can take what we're learning and we can take what God is teaching us and we can get before, get before other people and listen to what they might be saying to us about, about what God is trying to accomplish. They can give us perspective that when we move from self to community, when we shift from a focus on self to a focus on community, it's not that we don't think of ourselves, it's thinking rightly about ourselves, that we don't have to be validated by other people. Right? Can you imagine life like that? Can you imagine life where it's, it's not about competition, it's not about winning and, and comparison and all those kinds of things that, that we're shifting from, from just trying to make sure that we're okay to making sure that, that other people are okay too, that it's more than just us. And then we shift, shift number three is from independence to obedience. And this maybe is the foundation for the whole thing, right? You talk about the, the bullseye of what this looks like for us to, to, grow, to grow from independence to obedience, to recognize that, that for us really when we talk about the journey towards God or the, 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 our participation in God's ministry, that this is in some ways the starting line, that, that everything else is, is helping us get over ourselves so that we can participate in what God is trying to accomplish in us and through us that all those things are preparation to get us to the starting line, to move from independence, which is, here's what I'm trying to accomplish, and maybe I can get God to do what I want him to do, or I can get God to join my mission, to join my cause, 
and we shift to say, obedience looks like, God, what is it you're trying to do? How do I get in on that? Right? It's a significant shift. And, and for us to, to understand that this missional journey, this journey of, of participating in God's mission begins when we get over ourselves and realize that God is inviting us to join his, ministry, his mission, right? to, to join in what he's trying to accomplish instead of asking him to do what we're wanting him to do. That we're not asking God to join our cause. We're invited to join his Right, three shifts that, that, that change everything for us. And so this morning, just as we, as we close for, for a time of, to reflect on what this actually can look like for us, there's a, there's a picture I want to give. It's a, it's a framework for understanding. Maybe for some of us, we, we're looking at this and saying, well, so what do we do with this? Right, how, do we actually, how do we actually go about living this out? And there's three simple words, picture, mirror, and window. It should be up on the screen now. It starts with a clear picture of what life is supposed to look like, a clear picture of what the bullseye actually is. And, and for Paul and for us, we look at this and we say, so what was Christ like, right? What was Jesus like? What does that picture look like? We talk about this discipleship journey. We're looking at Jesus and saying, so, so, so who was he? What did he do? Why, what, what compelled him? What motivated him to, to look at this clear picture of what the bullseye is? This is part of the responsibility that I bear within this community to, to paint that clear picture of what the bullseye actually is. And we look at this picture and to, to recognize that the good news for us is that, is that Jesus is everything that he's everything that he's calling us to be. He's, he's more than that too. But when we talk about the, the, the compassion, the selflessness, the, the way that he, oper- that he operates in relationship with each other, all the, with, with others, that, that everything that he's inviting us or asking us to be, he is, which should give us confidence, right? Should give us a sense that, that that's the way he relates to us. And so we look at this picture and we, and we, we study and we learn and we say, so, so if we're called to be like Jesus, then we want to learn as much about Jesus as we can. We want to, we want to study and understand his words and, and spend time with others that, that might help us understand him more to get this clear picture. But there's a next step. It's the, the picture becoming a mirror, right? So we look at this picture and we, we, we study and we learn and then, and then at some point we make the shift from just looking to to actually now looking at our lives through it, right? To allow this reflection for God to, to, spend, this trans, to spend time transforming us, saying, well, if that's the picture, then, then what does my life look like in, in response to that? What does my life look like? How does my life measure up to that? Right? This is partially where small groups and where discipleship matters, where other people might be able to help us see what we can't yet see. But to take the step where it's not just about us gathering information but about, about Jesus and about what life is supposed to look like, but actually looking at, does my life reflect that? Where we look and we say we take that step from, from looking at it as a picture and, and saying, well, well, how do our lives look at this, right? And then there's the, the reality that the next step in the discipleship journey is then it becomes a window. We look at the world around us through that lens, or we look and we say, well, how would Jesus see this world? If I look at what I'm called to and I look at what God's been doing in me, then, then what is it that God wants to do through me? What's, what's outside my window? And we begin to operate in that kind of way. I think for us to understand what our next step is, to, to understand the, the, way that, uh, the way that God is calling us forward, for some of us, we, we're, we're still trying to get the picture, and that's okay. Right? We're still kind of gathering information. We're wanting to know more about Jesus. We're wanting to know more about what the Bible says, and, and that's good, but if we don't get to the point where we actually begin to allow that to transform us, that's, 
The, the step that some of us may need to take is the step from, from we've, we've studied and we've learned and, and we kind of have gathered the, the information, but now it's a matter of looking at our lives to, to take the step to allow it to be a mirror, to allow it to be a transforming thing in our lives. And then maybe for some of us, it's not that, it's, that we've done the reflection, we've done the personal growth, that, that God is getting a hold of us, that, that we're growing and we're, we're doing things that we never imagined before, that our lives are marked by this transformational thing that God has done but yet the world around us isn't impacted by that. Then it's a matter of that next step might be that we need to start looking through the window. Right? We need to start looking at the world through the Jesus lens. We need to start looking at the world through, through what God has done for us. A picture, a mirror, and a window. It's the discipleship journey step by step by step. It's how God changes us. It's how God changes the world, that we can live and love in a way that's marked by the person of Jesus Christ.